Hello and welcome to Cultivating Conversations. I'm Claire Nazir. Fishless fish made a splash during 2022. Headlines like Vegan Salmon Fillet takes on the 586 billion US dollar seafood industry roused some interest. And more recent talk of tuna-less canned tuna kept attention peaked on these novel foods. A few months ago, UK broadsheet The Guardian described plant-based fish as the next big trend in the seafood industry. Fast forward to January 2023 and plant-based seafood remains an emerging market, part of the alternative protein sector, covering fishless products such as tuna, salmon, caviar, scallops, squid, crab and shrimp. According to Allied Market Research, the global plant-based seafood market was valued at 42.1 million US dollars in 2021, relative to the global seafood market at 253 billion US dollars for the same year. It's a drop in the ocean. However, despite a tricky end to 2022 for some plant-based startups, the future continues to look bright. It's projected that alternative seafood will generate 1.3 billion US dollars by 2031. It's an interesting niche market and certainly there's a growing appetite for such foods. Definitely one to watch. To find out more about what's happening at the ground level of this sector, I caught up with Anton Pluschka. His startup, Ordinary Seafood, is Berlin-based with huge ambition. Founded in 2022 and originally known as Numi Foods, they produce alternative seafood. Here's Anton recalling a recent tasting session with his latest product, plant-based shrimp, at a top restaurant in Berlin. Anton, tell me what happened earlier today. Yeah, today I was uh, had the opportunity to work with some chefs here in Berlin and basically give them the product and let them play around with it in their kitchen. And it's phenomenal to see how chefs bring their own signature flavor onto product that we've been building and how it transforms the entire product. So that's Dr. Anton Pluschka. He has a background in food science and biotechnology, passionate about the structure of plant cells and their health benefits. He's worked for the traditional animal sector, as well as the seafood industry. But it was during this time he took a different direction. That's when I really decided that there had to be a more sustainable way of producing food. And after all my research that I'd done myself and that I'd been reading, it was evident this was going to play out in alternative proteins. And so I made the jump. I left the, the traditional industry and joined a startup in Berlin as head of research and development and really learned what it meant for the first time to have full accountability and build something from scratch. And that's what I did there for a year and a half. And then I met my, uh, my, my co-founder, Marilena, and we decided to start this, this company together. We are building product to disrupt the protein market, um, food essentially. Okay, well, that's an amazing resume so far. But first of all, let's just backtrack a little bit. There are a few books out there right now about plant-based food and um, some negative stuff coming out through the press. And 2022 wasn't perhaps the best end of the year for the market. 
Why is plant-based food so important? Plants contain some of the most important things nutritionally for us. Fibres are one of them. And we do need to eat a very varied diet in order to get that dietary fibre into our, into our body. Now, within the plant-based world, this is, this is really broad. You can have very processed plant-based foods, and then you can, on the other end of the spectrum, be eating very unprocessed. And I think some of the, the, the news that came out in the press about this being bad or perceived poorly by the public in terms of how much processing can go into these foods, these analogs, these alternatives that we're producing. And there are a couple of ingredients that sparked a little bit of emotion in the public. And I think that's why it's, it's caused a bit, of a, a bit of a stir in 2022. However, it's come so far in, let me mm. just talk about the last 10 years. And for somebody who's been living and breathing food tech, there've been some massive leaps of innovation. And in particular, from my point of view, a stripping back of the, the amount of ingredients. So it becomes not a mm. processed food, but, uh, but pretty much a clean food. Yeah. Clean label is super important. Um, we try and design all our foods to have fewer than 10 ingredients uh, on the back of the label. And I really would love it for everyone that reads that ingredient list for them to be able to understand what's on there. That's one thing that's shifted a lot in the, in the, in the years now, in the last, um, let's say, 50 years when there's been this really big distance growing between industrial production of food and <clears throat> the public's awareness of how our food is actually produced today. I'd like to reopen that door, not tell all of our secret sauce to the world and how we build this, but certainly in a way where people can regain trust in the food system. Um, it's, it's clear we will also be producing at scales. We need to, to feed, to feed the world. In November 2022, we just crested 8 billion people on the planet. So that's a number, that's a new number that we haven't reached before and it's, it's cruising northwards. It's predicted to reach 10 billion by 2050 and I think we need to pause and really just understand what that means from a, from a food security perspective and really ask ourselves a question, can we feed those people if we don't change the way we produce food today? We probably could but the planet will not be healthy. And so we have a real responsibility just to, to innovate here. We really need to. And I think that's what's so important here. There is no way, way around this. And so that's what we're really spending our time and energy focusing on in terms of how can we bring an absolutely delicious food that is very nutritious, that is 10 to 50 times more sustainable than the conventional way of producing protein through animals. So that's a massive ask, isn't it? You're not just producing a product for an end consumption. It's the whole of the, the supply and the process chain, which is obviously transparent, but you're reducing your environmental footprint and everything else to such a level. It's a huge challenge. Yeah, like 
Data shows that 30% of the human-caused greenhouse gas emissions originates from the world's food agri-systems or supply chain. That's 30%. Literally every time we go to shop and buy, put your dollar or euro over here on a plant-based option versus a traditional conventional animal-based, you're basically influencing that whole that whole supply chain. And a lot of that, uh, that greenhouse gas emissions is actually due to deforestation on land, but also destruction in the marine ecosystem. And uh, we can see what happens on land quite well. And that's why there's a lot of emotion about rainforest being destroyed, being replaced with soy crops. There is now an awakening and an awareness developing as to what's happening beneath the ocean, replacing mangroves with shrimp farms, different types of hunting, which is what we do in the ocean essentially, and deep trawling, which destroys the ocean bed. People are becoming really aware of this and it's having a big influence on how they actually eat and live. So you've been very specific in what you're um, creating here and we are submerging ourselves below the water and you're solving a, a problem which is totally um, inherent across every ocean, every sea, every lake. It's mm -hmm. the overfishing, it's the pollution, etc. And you're creating a product which has a very small environmental footprint but tastes great as well. So tell me about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So within seafood, um, I see two large categories. I split them into fish and shellfish. And specifically on the shellfish side here, I see shrimp or prawns, depending on where you are in the world. Farm shrimp is actually the fourth worst greenhouse gas emissions generator of all foods following beef, coffee and chocolate. Yeah, no, on a per kilogram basis of farm shrimp, we generate anywhere from 15 to 18 kilograms of carbon. That's a huge number. So for every kilo of shrimp, 15 to 18 kilograms of carbon, that is predominantly due to the destruction of the mangrove ecosystems where the fish, where the shrimp farms are then placed. And that's calculated in there. And that's, this is happening all through Southeast Asia, a lot through India. And additionally, not just the fish farming or the shrimp farming, it's also the way we troll and we collect these, um, these shrimp, uh, which, which can also destroy a lot of marine habitat as well. Yeah, and mangroves are incredible powerhouses when it comes to just sucking in carbon dioxide, five times more powerful than many um, other trees. So you've created an alternative shrimp, alternative protein shrimp, and we're going to come mm -hmm. into the, the you know, nuts and bolts of how you created that in a minute. But you're based in Germany, in Berlin. How's yep. the market there? Is there an appetite for alternative proteins for, for what we call meatless meats? But obviously, this is fishless fish. Is it something which is supported by government? Is it something which is supported by your, your supermarket down the road and obviously and the general population? Yeah, absolutely. We did a market analysis and... Even if we weren't sitting inside Germany and in Berlin or very close to Berlin, we would have chosen to start here. There's 22 million flexitarians 
in Germany. That's over 30% of the population which are actively looking for animal alternatives for food. And so there, it's it's a market which is just very hungry for this kind of um, delicious food. More importantly, I won't be pushing a rock up a hill. And by that, I mean seafood isn't inherently part of the identity of the German culture. And so the acceptance to actually eat an alternative is going to be a lot easier than, say, if I started in Japan, where it is so fundamental and core to who they are, they would very much struggle to to enjoy a product that I, it would be very conflicting. So Germany is an amazing market. I mean, I presume also it's the uh, the volume that you have to produce. Southeast Asia predominantly is a is a fish eating society, whereas in Germany, as you say, they're far more flexible in what they eat. In London, there are many vegan restaurants just around the corner on every street now, which is fantastic. Mm. Uh, it's still a niche market, but certainly the opportunity is there. So it's a good place to base a business. Absolutely. Um, both from an investment perspective and also from a regulatory perspective. Our very first investor, actually, Nucleus Capital, um, Berlin-based impact-driven investor, and they have supported us from the very beginning. And we're partnering with these, these people who really want to be supporting mission-driven companies. So the ecosystem here in, in Europe and Germany, Berlin, it's fantastic for being able to build that because they really understand what we're, what we're building. Swiss-born philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau famously stated, nature is the master of talents. It is the great alchemist, and in itself alone can it make that gold which so delights us all. With those words in mind, we nicely move to the second part of our conversation, where Anton discusses the importance of biomimicry in the production of alternative seafood. Biomimicry in the context of food technology refers to using natural processes and systems found in the biological world as inspiration for creating new food products and production methods. This approach includes analysing the structures and functions of food-producing organisms and their ecosystems, so building a more sustainable and efficient food production system that mimics the nutritional and health benefits found in natural foods. An example is the use of fermentation, a natural process that occurs in many food systems to create a wide range of products such as cheese, yogurt and bread. In the context of plant-based alternative proteins, fermentation is used to break down plant proteins and generate a meat-like structure. By mimicking the natural fermentation process, it is possible to create plant-based meat and fish that are not only more sustainable, but also have a similar taste and texture to meat and fish. So let's go back to Anton and his plant-based shrimp. Okay, let's get on to the science bit. Um, here I'd refer to advanced biomimicry. So basically nature has been creating for hundreds and thousands of years animals and they've evolved and we've now been eating them for a number of years and we enjoy that sensory experience and when we dig into understanding what is it about that we enjoy when we eat a chicken wing or a shrimp we can actually identify the compounds that actually give us that sensory pleasure and we now have the ability with technology today to actually produce 
using, we use precision fermentation to actually then recreate parts of these animals, but with no animal involved. We call them blockbuster ingredients. They're highly functional and we can incorporate them into our plant-based foods in a very small percentage and it disrupts and revolutionizes the entire experience. So I wouldn't say it's uh, machine learning. It's, it's much more through observation, very thorough research, and then leveraging technology that we have access to today. And we can scale that as well. Is there a specific plant which is good for creating an alternative fish dish? Great question. And here, having spoken to a lot of seafood and specifically shrimp lovers, they will tell you the one thing they look for when, in, when they eat uh, shrimp. And it's all around texture. The texture of the shrimp has to be on point. And here specifically, I'm referring to the snap and the pop and that fibrous texture that you get when you enjoy eating uh, shrimp. And so we've set out from the very beginning to be able to replicate that. My goal is to put a plant-based shrimp down on a plate and for someone to, first of all, recognize it from an appearance perspective. And then when they jump in and eat that, love it. Mm. And here, from my knowledge in ingredients and processing, I've been able to select three main ingredients. And they are, in fact, one of them comes from the ocean. It's a seaweed extract that I use. And then I dip back into my PhD experience and have selected some very functional plant fibers. And I top it off from a nutritional perspective with a pea protein that has been processed in a way that makes it almost delicious in terms of its, its off flavor is very, is very low. And so I've been able to combine these three main ingredients in a way that gives me the texture we can actually measure the texture using texture analyzers. We can compare it to a real shrimp. And that's what we've been doing all along. Basically, we have a machine on one side. We put down the real shrimp and we get a curve of what it looks like when someone eats it. And then basically, we've been able to mimic that. And we now have a shrimp that is virtually identical on the first, second and third bite to conventional shrimp. God, that's crazy, isn't it? it I mean, mm. maybe. It's baffling, really. I find it hard to make an omelette, so that's very impressive. It really is. Um, how long did it take you to create this uh, alternative shrimp? In terms of the actual product development, where we've, I started in December last, in, what was it? In 2021, I started with my very first prototype in the kitchen here at home. And we've done over, I, I don't know how many hundreds of iterations we've done now to get where we are today. Um, so it's, it's, it's a long process and there's definitely two phases. There's the hardcore product development phase, which is very iteration based. And then you've got all the deep learning that backs you up to really feel like, okay, I know how this system works. I know how to scale food. I understand biotechnology. And we're going to make this shrimp, the juiciest shrimp anyone has ever eaten. Uh, so the scale is there, the know-how is there, and we just need to make sure that we're producing the correct thing. You know, in the end, there needs to be demand for this. You have to be able to demonstrate. Do you think you're going to be picking up momentum um, based on all the work you've done thus far? Yeah, that's for sure. We're a very small team, so we have to focus. And we have a number of ideas that we would love to uh, 
um, put into to action. And we're tackling the largest problem of all, and that's juiciness. Mm, okay. The main reason consumers are not really adopting, or they didn't in 2022, plant-based version 1.0 wasn't convincing everyone. There are things missing. And from our perspective, that's how juicy and delicious those products are. And we're developing a technology to solve that specific problem. Once that's solved, and once our team grows and our capacity can also handle more projects, we have a lot of projects in terms of cooking experience, but also flavor and taste that we can't wait to bring and incorporate into our products as well. I presume there are companies who are creating certain ingredients which support the creation of your product. I mean, is there partnerships and collaborations going on? Yeah, that makes total sense. Like our whole innovation thesis is we only innovate when we need to. If there's an off-the-shelf cost-effective method to solve a problem, we're going to use that. It makes no sense to make life more complicated than it has to be. Only once we've exhausted all options and no one can give us the answer that we're looking for, then we turn inwards and say, okay, so far no one's been able to crack this. We need to. So the community and, and partnerships are there. Like we work with the biggest suppliers um, and that's really important for us when we build out this global company, starting small here in Berlin, but with epic ambitions. What do you think investors are looking for in terms of a product? I mean, I think it's probably the basic three, but um, have you identified any other factors which you really need to tick a box for? My learning so far, and I'd love to be proven wrong here, but uh, investors and, and moving a little bit higher than just the product itself, when they're looking to invest in a company, it's three main things. Is, is the team right? Do they have what it takes to build this? And can they demonstrate that? Is the product right? So can you demonstrate that you are on the right track? And then lastly, I'd say, is it the right time? Is the market ready for this? So they're the definite three key things, team, product, and market. And underneath that, investors look for something very specific especially from a VC side. Um, can you demonstrate defensibility? Can you build something that you can protect that has a large enough moat around it that prevents anyone else from coming in? Can you demonstrate ridiculous traction? So how efficient are you? What have you been able to do with hardly any resources? Like when I started in my kitchen, I started with a stick blender. Show me how resourceful you are. What can you do? And then the last thing they need to see is, right, demonstrate your business plan. Show me the margin potential in this. Can this be a viable business at the end of the day? And having worked in that big American agro company, Cargill, they've been alive for 150 years. They employ 160,000 employees globally. That's a business that actually is functioning and actually brings value in terms of it is a profitable business and here profit is it's almost like a symptom of a healthy company not the goal and i want this company to also work at that level where it's like yes we can be profitable because that means what we're building actually has value I think that's mm. when we, um, you know, we, we talked about Marilena at the beginning of, of the, the show, her academic 
career started at the London School of Economics, which is just fantastic. Yes. So your pairing is almost like a yin yang. And I presume you have the same ethics, obviously, same moral platform, same drive and ambition. But the two sets of skills of where you've come from and also your multinational experience sort of marries together. I'm sure that's something that investors see that sort of the breadth of what you've done so far and the success that you've made is must be a factor as well. I think so. And we were very able to demonstrate that when we got into the Y Combinator Accelerator. You know, this is like, uh, what is it, the Harvard or Oxford for startups uh, and with a ridiculously low acceptance rate. And I think we put a very good case together, demonstrating our plan, our ambitions and our skill set, which, which made us a, you know, a power a power duo. I mean, I just want to sit down with you in a bar in Berlin, you guys, and just eat your shrimp and just celebrate with a German beer because you have that sort of energy and that sense yeah. of celebration already. And I think that's because part and parcel of this is the process. It's the every step yeah. is you celebrating every every portion of success that you're you, you're pushing towards that goal. And for people who reach that goal in eight years, what the hell do you do next? So you've got to thrive under these sort of um, deadlines uh, and ambitions and, and enjoy every moment. Yeah. And that's been a huge decision of how I spend my time on this planet. Yeah. <laughs> I want to surround myself with people who who have the similar values and and, and culture and and want to build something that'll really leave the place in a in a better in a better shape than when we entered. I was going to ask you about your five-year plan, but you've already detailed your eight-year plan, which is just incredible. <laughs> but I think finally, let's talk about your next product because, you know, the alternative protein, the plant-based shrimp, brilliant. And I know that mm. that needs refining and you're going to carry on and, and it's almost there. And I know people are loving the taste already. But what is next? What's your next target product? Next target product will be... And in fact, our very first one that we can scale comfortably is salmon. And we will demonstrate this at one of Germany's largest food fairs here in Berlin called the Grüne Woche or Green Week uh, at the end of January, just coming up. And so it'll first be salmon and followed very closely on by another very important fish that is getting fish to extinction at the moment. It's a pelagic fish, uh, tuna will also be on the menu as well. Uh, shrimp will follow after that. And there's, there's such a variety, crab, lobster, scallops, you name it. And here we've got the capability internally to really build out these two verticals very convincingly. So that's great. So you're cornering a market and there's not many of you out there really relative to say plant-based meat or, or dairy. Yeah, look, it's it's definitely <clears throat> heating up. It's uh, it's definitely a white space. There's no there's no one that's claimed it yet in terms of the global brand, or even if there will be, the sector is is so large. There can be multiple players that end up being successful. And here we've we've been fortunate enough to sit down with some of the best sushi restaurants in in Germany, and um, the head chef of, of the German chain here of this particular restaurant took my shrimp uh, into the back of his kitchen. He came back with two sushi rolls, did a blind tasting for the CEO of the company. And we all sat around this table and he was like, all right, guys, you tell me which one's which. 
And to be to be fair, no one could tell the difference. How does that make you, you feel? I mean, that's just an incredible sense of achievement, isn't it? Yeah, that's awesome. Like in a host food to have uh, our product inside that where a chef who's who's been cooking with seafood his entire life I get very excited about being able to offer something new to his consumers. Uh, that That's phenomenal. I can't wait to take it to that next level where it's just the hero on the plate itself. And you can have a, a king tiger prawn cocktail or uh, shrimp skewers that really deliver um, that, 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 that sensory experience. So there's still a way to go. <clears throat> we're not there yet. And to be fair, once we've launched as well, we're still not going to finish. I think we need to keep innovating and keep, you know, it's, it, it is going to be super competitive. Uh, there's there's the conventional guys we need to, to to beat and then there's all the other startups that are trying to also show that they can build the next biggest thing. And heading from Berlin to probably, I don't know, Singapore, where, my goodness, I mean, that is a proper food tech hub and they live and breathe mm. seafood so you need a tick in the box from those guys as well and beyond it's an exciting time and 2023 does it feel good for you so far it's it's going to be a very good year and we'll hit some very big milestones and uh and really rip this up so looking forward to it Anton, absolute pleasure to talk to you. Um, I'm so excited. I can't wait to have another conversation, even in six months' time, because you're going all the way, and I can see that. Thanks so much, Claire. It's been a real pleasure. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to keeping in touch and making sure we, we get that German beer and sit down for some delicious seafood in the future. Plant-based fish market continues to grow as more consumers look for sustainable and cruelty-free alternatives to traditional seafood. However, to become a high hitter, and we've discussed this before on the podcast, it's all about taste, convenience and price. In a month when Edinburgh in Scotland becomes the first European capital to officially endorse a plant-based treaty, government regulations are slowly aligning. And as alternative fish becomes more commonplace in supermarkets and eateries, so investment opportunities become more fertile, allowing companies such as Ordinary Seafood to effectively scale and take on the unsustainably sourced mass market. My thanks to Anton Plushka for taking the time to talk to me. You've been listening to Cultivating Conversations. Presenter and producer is me, Claire Nazir. Editor is Mivi Stubman-Bladio. Cultivating Conversations is a Chaseman Global production. 